Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today on this Monday broadcast. Now, we're going to do a two-part series today called Living Fearlessly. Uh, listen, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of a sound mind. Well, let me begin by telling you a story that is not true, but it's kind of funny. A man took a vacation and he decided that he and his wife were going to go to Israel. Uh, they always wanted to go over to the Holy Land, and so they decided they'd take a visit and take mother-in-law along. Well, they had a wonderful visit, and they got toward the end of their trip in Israel, and sadly, mother-in-law passed away. Well, the husband met with the local funeral director in Jerusalem the next day and began to discuss the funeral plans. Well, in cases like these, there's a couple options to choose from, the undertaker explained. Well, you can ship the body home for $5,000, or you can bury her hair right in the Holy Land for just $150. Well, the man took a few minutes to think about it, and then he announced his decision to ship mother-in-law home. Well, the undertaker was quite intrigued by his decision. He says, now, that's an interesting choice. Can I ask you why you would pay $5,000 to ship your mother-in-law home when you can easily bury her right here for $150. Well, the man promptly replied, you know, about 2,000 years ago, a man died and was buried here. Three days later, he rose from the dead, and I can't take that chance. Well, I thought that was pretty good, and I hope that blesses your soul today. Uh, but today, I want to talk to you about why we can live fearlessly. And it all goes back to the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, I could give you probably 50 or 60 reasons why I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But because of time, I'm just going to give you a few. And here are some compelling reasons why I believe that Jesus rose literally, physically from the dead. I'm going to give you seven reasons. I'm going to give them to you kind of quickly. But I think these are very compelling reasons as to why all people should believe in the resurrected body of Christ. Number one is what I call changed lives. You know, there's no other event in history that has the far-reaching, life-changing, and long-term impact of the physical resurrection of Jesus. You know, you think about who is impacted by the resurrection. There's famous people, uh, there's even notorious people that have been changed by the resurrection of Christ. Their lives have been radically changed. You think about the 500 people who saw the risen Savior that very first time. Now, biblical scholars have really no idea what event Paul is talking about when he saw 500 who had seen the risen Savior, but maybe he's referring to Acts chapter 2, where on the day of Pentecost, they are gathered around, and they are gathered around preparing to start the church. It's the day of Pentecost is when the Spirit of God falls. They remember when Jesus said, when I ascend up to heaven after his resurrection, he said the Holy Spirit's going to descend. Well, here we have all these people who were believers, and many of them were alive and saw Jesus rise from the dead. And so change lives not only back there in, in the first century, but throughout history. I think about a guy by the name of Albert Einstein, uh, who was alive back in the late 1800s and into the uh, mid-1950s. 
He said this, if you can't explain something simply, it's because you don't understand it well enough. Albert Einstein believed in the resurrected Savior of Jesus Christ. He was so audacious that he said, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking that we used when we created them. In other words, we can't fix our sin problem in our, of ourselves. Uh, we cannot provide the solution for our worst problems in life. He also said, try not to become a man that is just successful, but rather to become a man of value. So Albert Einstein believed that Jesus rose from the dead. Well, how about Pascal? Back in the 1600s, he was a French mathematician. He was a physicist. He was an inventor. He was a philosopher. He was a child prodigy. And he said this. Now, uh, for a long time, I have given the credit for this statement to the wrong person. For years, I've been saying, Vance Havner said that there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man, which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the creator, made known through Jesus. That wasn't Vance Havner who said that originally. Now, he popularized it, but it was Pascal who said that. Pascal said, truth is so obscure in these times, and falsehood is so established, that unless we love the truth, we cannot know it. He believed that truth was revealed through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, there's another guy by the name of Isaac Newton, who is arguably the most famous physicist ever born. He was a very influential scientist. And this is what he said about atheism. Atheism, he said, is so senseless. When I look at the solar system, I see the earth at the right distance from the sun to receive proper amounts of heat and light. This did not happen by chance. You see, Newton was known for laying out the foundation of classical mechanics, and he was able to do an amazing work with math, and he's really the guy who came up with calculus. Newton, as a physicist, looked and used some of the figures that he had, was used on the Apollo mission to the moon. Now, his faith was unusual. He was a devout Christian, but he was somewhat unorthodox in his time. And as a matter of fact, he was born again and was uh, really born again as a Catholic, but he refused to take holy orders from the church at England. He had said, he says, I'm going to follow where science takes me. And he came up with gravity. And he says, gravity can explain the motions of the planets, Newton said, but it cannot explain who set the planets in motion. You see, God governs all things, and he knows all that is can be known and all that can be done. So Isaac Newton believed in the resurrection of Christ. There's a guy who's still alive now, as of the time of this recording, Francis Sellers Collins. He was born 1950. He's an American physician, and he's a geneticist. Did you know that he discovered that genes are associated with a number of diseases? And he led to have several cures for diseases based on the fact that he understood there's a genetic component to diseases. And he made this connection 
as a strong believer in the resurrection of Christ. As a matter of fact, he said, God is not threatened by science. He invented it. And in his Galileo, who said, the laws of nature were written by the hand of God in the language of mathematics. He was also a strong believer in the resurrection of Christ. Well, let's come up into uh, closer, more modern times, right? There's a guy by the name of George Washington Carver, and he was used in a very special way and uh, did a lot of work with peanut crops. And as a matter of fact, he he devised over 30 products that could be created using peanuts. Among them were dyes and cosmetics and a whole lot of things like soap and ink. And he also, not only did he do a lot of work with the peanuts, but he also came up with 118 different uses for sweet potatoes. Uh, He discovered that sweet potatoes could be used to make postage stamp glue, to make vinegar and flour, and, and even synthetic rubber. Well, Carver saw no problem with being a Christian and a scientist. In fact, uh, he testified repeatedly that it was his Christian faith that was what propelled him and gave him insight into the secrets found in farming. And he said within each plant and each animal, he saw the component of God's handiwork. As a matter of fact, one time he was studying the Old Testament where Moses talked about rotating the crops and allowing the crops to rest and don't plant the same type of crop in the same field year after year after year. You want to rotate your crops and then you want to allow the land a year of rest. Well, he discovered that that actually works well when you're planting. And to this day, crops are still rotated. George Washington Carver was a strong believer in the literal physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then is Louis Pasteur, sometimes called the father of microbiology. Well, he came along and learned some secrets of how to be cured of fever. And he came up and created the first vaccines for rabies and and anthrax. And he discovered there's uh, theories of germs and disease. And he actually revolutionized how we developed or how we came up with vaccines. Unbelievable work that he did, not to mention all the work that he did in pasteurization. But he believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I could go on and on and give you name after name after name of those who believed in the physical, literal resurrection of Jesus Christ and how their lives were radically changed because of what Christ did. So that's one reason why I believe in the resurrection of Christ. The second reason would be the historical evidence. You know, there's multiple non-biblical sources. Even Jewish historians describe a man named Jesus who lived, was executed, and came back to life. One of my professors, when I was a student in in seminary, Dr. Habermas, did a research project, and he discovered there are more than 2,200 written works regarding the historicity of the resurrection. And it doesn't matter from different cultures, different backgrounds. Some are written in French, some are written in German, uh, some are written in English. But he found these scholars, many of them, most of them non-believers, who gave credence to the fact that Jesus was alive, that Jesus was crucified, 
and that Jesus rose again. As a matter of fact, Dr. Habermas has done a lot of work with the shroud that is now protected by a bulletproof glass. And this shroud of Turan is a shroud that was discovered, really the grave clothes of what was believed to be used to wrap the body of Christ. And so this shroud kind of has turned up some interesting facts that they have discovered. And one of the things they found about these linen cloths called the shroud is that there's actually radiation that is emanating from this shroud, indicating that somebody was dead, but then they came back alive. And so that's just another point to drive home the point that there is historical evidence to prove that Jesus rose again. As a matter of fact, this shroud of Turan is actually being protected because people are trying to steal it. And as a matter of fact, in 1997, there was a fire that broke out in the Cathedral of St. John. They had to hammer through four layers of bulletproof glass to save the shroud. And then as a result, now it's protected even more so that those who want to come out and steal it can't steal it or destroy it. But anyway, when you think about all these changes, changes in lives, historical evidence, these are proofs pointing to the fact that Jesus rose again. Well, there's something else that also drives home my belief in the risen Savior, that he literally rose again. And I would call it manuscript consistency. You see, the early accounts of the resurrection and the prophecies were reliably transmitted in written form. Did you know that we have more than 6,000 early manuscripts that were discovered thanks to the Dead Sea Scrolls that are dated back to within a hundred years of the resurrection of Christ? Now, of all of these 6,000 manuscripts, none of them have any variations regarding the resurrection accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John All four of those accounts from these early manuscripts show no variation about the resurrection of Christ. In other words, they all agree that Jesus physically and literally rose again from the grave. Well, we've got changed lives. We have historical evidence. We have manuscripts and their consistency affirming the resurrection of Christ. Number four, there are the prophetic announcements. You know, both Old Testament scholars and even Jesus himself predicted his resurrection. Isaiah 26, 19 talks about the dead shall rise again. Their bodies shall rise. Daniel chapter 12 talks about those who are in the dust of the earth sleeping shall awaken, talking about a resurrection. Psalm 19, the psalmist talks about the fact that there's going to be one who is going to be suffering, the Holy One, but that Holy One will see no corruption, and He will come forth. He will rise again. Now, when I think about the resurrection, one day we too will rise again. You know, the Bible talks about two types of resurrection. So let me pause here for just a moment and explain the difference between these two resurrections. You see, God created us, body, soul, and spirit. The soul is a real part of you. The soul is a part of you that's going to live on forever. One day, your soul will resurrect. You see, the moment I take the last breath here on this earth, 
I will take my first breath in heaven. It's not my body that's going to be breathing up in heaven. It's not my spirit that's going to be breathing up in heaven. It's my soul, the real part of me that's going to resurrect up into everlasting life. That is the resurrection of life. But there's another resurrection that the Bible talks about. It's called the resurrection of damnation. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, now I don't say this to scare you. I say this to warn you. I say this to plead with you to embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There is plenty of evidence that Jesus came, that he was buried, and that he rose again. And if Jesus is telling the truth about his resurrection, he's also telling you the truth when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The resurrection of damnation will occur to all those who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior. You see, if you don't know Christ, the moment that you take your last breath here on this earth, you're going to take your first breath in a place of eternal torment. Will you be separated from God because your soul is going to continue to live? It's going to live separated from God. You know, hell was never designed for human occupancy. God created hell as a place of punishment and separation for the devil and his angels when they fell from heaven. And now because of sin within humanity, those who do not receive the free gift of salvation one day will find themselves residing in a place that was never meant for human occupancy. But I've got some really good news. Because of the resurrection of Christ, you don't have to be separated from him. You can experience not the resurrection of damnation, but you can experience the resurrection of life. It's as simply as putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, did you know that two-thirds of Americans believe in the resurrection of Christ? Now, it is more than just believing in the historical accounts of the resurrection. The demons even believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but they're not saved. Just because you give intellectual understanding to the fact that Jesus rose again doesn't mean you're born again. You are born again when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You no longer trust yourself to gain access to God's throne and to heaven. Now you're going to trust Jesus Christ. You're going to put your exclusive confidence in him. He's going to be your Savior and your Lord. Just because you know Jesus rose again doesn't mean you're born again. Listen, when you are born again, your life is radically changed. Now listen, if two-thirds of Americans believe in the resurrection of Christ, that doesn't mean that two-thirds of Americans are saved. I believe many people believe the resurrection of Christ, but they don't believe in the risen Savior. You see, you got to call upon the name of the Lord. Then you're going to be saved. And when that happens, there is a radical change in your life. You're never again quite the same. Listen, if two-thirds of Americans actually believed and put their confidence in Jesus Christ, every church would be packed and overflowing. So many people know the resurrection of Christ. My prayer is today that you will go from head knowledge to what we call heart knowledge, and you will drop that into your heart, and that you will call upon the name of the Lord and be saved today. This is your opportunity to have a life that is radically changed. Well, we've had changed lives. We have the historical manuscripts. 
We have the fact that we've got prophetic announcements, and there's, there's something else. Even Jesus himself predicted his resurrection. In Matthew chapter 12, we discover that the scribes and the Pharisees, they were gathered around Jesus, and they wanted to sign. And he says, you know what? An evil and an adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And Jesus says, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 predicts his resurrection. In Matthew chapter 28, we have the record of his resurrection. Prophetic announcements point to the fact that Jesus rose again. So there's four. Number five is the women reporters, is what I'm going to call this. You know, in biblical days, first century AD, women were not held in high regard. As a matter of fact, a woman could not testify in a court of law, and her testimony was not considered valid. So the way that you would testify in court, you would go to your husband, you would share your side of the story, and then your husband would testify on your behalf because you couldn't, because your testimony wasn't valid. I want you to know that Christianity has done more to raise the elevation of women. And I think about how things were much different 1,900 years ago. But look at the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ is witnessed first, not by men, but by women. Now, this drives home the point that it is valid. Now, when we look at the resurrection accounts, there's actually six women who either witnessed the empty tomb or had an encounter with the risen Savior Christ. And as we put all four gospel accounts together, this is where we come up with these six women. So I'm going to give you the names of these six women, and then I'm going to give you the references. I won't read the references, but I'll just give them to you so you can uh, check it out what I'm saying uh, to make sure that it's true to God's Word. We have Joanna, and uh, she was among the first women to discover the empty tomb. Luke 24, verse number 10. Her husband, according to history, was Chusa, the household manager or the steward of King Herod Antipas. And that goes back to Luke 8.3, where we get that. She was a follower of Jesus, this Joanna, and she helped to provide for the financial needs of Jesus' ministry, along with many others. So there's Joanna. Number two, there is Mary Magdalene. She was a Galilean, and she was living on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, Jesus delivered her from seven demons in Luke chapter 8, verse 2, and also Mark chapter 16, verse number 9. She became a follower of Jesus in Matthew 27, verse 57. She was a witness to the crucifixion and the burial of Jesus, Matthew 27, 61. She was among the women who went to the tomb on Sunday, Mark 16, 1. She was the first person to see Jesus alive. Mark 16, verse 9. 
She told the other disciples about his resurrection, Luke 24.10. So we have Mary Magdalene, we have Joanna. Number three, we have Mary, the mother of Jesus. She gave birth to Jesus, as you know, in Bethlehem. And uh, she was the, the one that was present when Jesus was crucified. She was present at his burial, and she witnessed his resurrected life. And so John 19 talks about the fact that she was there. And Mary, uh, as she was there, had at least six other children, as we look at all the other biblical accounts. But she was there. She was present at the resurrection. And then you have another Mary. Now, these Marys can get a little confusing. We have Mary Magdalene. We have Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now we have Mary, who is the mother of James and Joseph. She was a witness of Jesus' crucifixion, uh, his burial, and his resurrection appearance. And her son, named James the Younger, and, uh, and her, her husband must have been also named James, or Joseph, or Joseph. And we learn this from Matthew 27, 61. And then there's another Mary that's there. Mary, the wife of Cleopas. And the last one is Salome, the mother of James and John. I'll give you more information on the broadcast tomorrow on those last few names. God bless you. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.